All righty, thank you. Matthew 13, Matthew 13. No, I am not Jake Potter. Pastor Jake Potter is away on vacation. I know I'm working on my mustache, but I'm not there yet. Got a little bit too much height as well, but we try. So Matthew 13, uh, Pastor Jake and Miss Sarah are away on vacation. Um, he preaches out a lot during the week, but he doesn't get away much for vacation, so we're glad that they can kind of get away, enjoy some time together. Honored to um, be filling the pulpit this morning. Um, if you're surprised I'm up here, trust me, I was more surprised when he asked me. And if you're nervous for me, I promise I'm more nervous for me. And I promise even more than that, Pastor Jake is more nervous than all of us. No, I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, though, I am thankful uh, for the opportunity to preach anytime. Um, one of the biggest reasons that when I was deciding what to do next with my life, my choice of ministry, one of the biggest reasons I came here is because I knew that believed in me as a preacher and was going to give me opportunity to do that. So I'm thankful for that. Matthew 13, familiar text. Um, Jesus is dealing with them. Before we get into that, um, I, um, I like preaching. The, it's nice to get to preach every few weeks, every few months maybe, because I can kind of preach what I want. I, don't, um, I, I kind of preach what's on my heart. And this is a topic that has been on my heart lately. Um, I, I feel like I'm getting ready for teen camp. You guys know that I'm teen camp forever. I'm getting ready for events. Um, we just had a, a big event this last Wednesday, and, and we're getting ready for big days, sportsman supper, and these big, big moments. Pastor Stewart and Miss Chelsea going away. Uh, these just big highs. And um, I, I, I've been thinking, I've been wrestling with this idea of why is we serve a, can we agree that we serve a consistent God, right? One of my favorite attributes of God is his consistency. He's the same today, tomorrow, and, and forever. And the reason that's one of my favorite attributes of God is because I am a very inconsistent person. Um, I, I am an inconsistent person, whether that's with, with a lot of different things, but especially when, when I look at my walk with God, when I look at the decisions I make, when I look at everything, I look back and I look at my inconsistency in my past, even in my present, and it frustrates me. Has anyone else ever been there where they're, they're frustrated by the fact that they are not always where they need to be, right? We've all had spiritual highs. We've had moments where we've, where we've surrendered. We've had moments where we've given in. We've had moments where we've truly given ourselves to God to follow after God. But man, those are few and far between sometimes. And a lot of times our, our life, and, and I'm speaking from a, a sense of passion because this is something I've been wrestling with, my life has been a life of doing really good one day, struggling the next, doing really good one day, having an emotional high, fully committed, fully surrendered. And then the next week, I can't even make time to get in the word. I, I can't even, I can't, my heart isn't in it. I'm, I'm not praying for the people I should be praying for. I'm, in, I'm inconsistent. Has anyone else ever been there? We, we wrestle, I feel like we, we talk about heaven, right? We, we see the, the monstrosities that are happening around the world. We've, these big mass shootings, the wars, whatever. We, we look at the world and it, what does that make? For me, I look at these things and I, I long for heaven, right? I long for the day where these things are behind us. And we have lots of reasons that we long for heaven. You know the number one reason I long for heaven? So I don't have to deal with me anymore. I don't have to deal with my sin. I don't have to deal with my flesh. I don't have to deal with my inconsistency. And we, we, I, I sit in services and I, I hear good preaching, Bible preaching. And sometimes, and man, it pricks my heart. I'm convicted and I move. And other times, in one ear and out the other. Hopefully this is a pricking service, not in one ear and out the other, right? Um, we think of a service like last week, Pastor Stewart preached a, a, an awesome sermon on burning the ships, being fully committed to God. And, and we sit through that, and I sit through that, and we all sit through that. And for some of us, it, it fires up for us, encourages us. Some of us, man, it, it's just another Sunday. Why is that? 
Why is it that some people get it, some people don't? Why is it that sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't? Why is it, I've, I've been, we've been reading some, some church, uh, just church books, like growing churches and just learning about the church. I, I am a young pastor. I'm trying to learn about the church. You, you hear these percentages of people that will attend church every single week for their entire lives and never really get it. They say that 97% of people will never witness to someone. Pastor Malcolm gave us that style a few weeks ago, right? 97% of people will never witness someone. They say that 46% of people will never step foot in a church. No matter how many times you invite them, no matter how many times you ask them, 40% of the population in the United States of America will never step foot in a church. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get how they just can't get it. When I hear the word of God at times, right, we're inconsistent, but at times when I hear the word of God poured out, when I hear, when I feel the spirit of moving and I feel it and I can't say anything but yes. I can't say anything but surrender. And then there's other times where I can't. And then I look around and there's people who just never, never get it. Why do we miss it? Why do we miss it? And this it I'm talking about is just this life fully surrendered to God. Why am I inconsistent with it? Why are all so many of us inconsistent with it? And why do some simply never get it? Why do some simply attend church week after week, maybe even know about God, maybe even read their Bible during the week, but they've just never get it. They never get that life fully surrendered to God. They come to church. Man, I deal with teenagers, right? I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. I love it. I love teenagers. Um, speaking of people who just don't get it sometimes, right? Right? We, they, they attend church. They, many of them have been in church their entire lives. They get the idea of what church is supposed to be, but do they really truly ever get it? Do they really truly ever understand, man, a life surrendered to God is the only life. It's not an option. It's not one of the things we could do. It's really our only option as believers. Do they really get it? And if they do really get it, do they keep getting it? Because, man, I've been in moments where I got it, and then next three years I never got it again, man. I got it, I got it at teen camp, right? We're going to teen camp. I, I've, I've been in those services where I got it. I felt, man, I was convicted of the Spirit. I, I wanted to give my life. I wanted to do anything, sacrifice anything, to, 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 do, to live for him, and I've got it. A few weeks later, don't have it anymore. Why is that, man? I, I hate inconsistency. As an inconsistent person, I hate, I hate inconsistency. One of the reasons I love Stuart as a friend, he is a, this, this is always a positive attribute, but he is a very consistent person, very steady. Me, I, I, I flip-flop. I, I struggle. Stuart struggles too, obviously, but we all struggle, but Why? Why? I think Jesus gives us that answer here in, in Matthew 13. This is a familiar text. We're going to give a little backstory, and then we're going to get into it. Um, this has been a long day of ministering for Jesus, okay? He, Matthew 12 and 13 are the same day. Um, he, he's been preaching. He's preached um, to multiple multitudes. He's preached to Pharisees. He's had family conversation. And Matthew 13 starts off with this beautiful picture of Jesus pushing off from the shore. He's in a boat. He's pushing off from the shore. He's creating like an amphitheater type effect. He's teaching from the boat. The disciples are with him, and the multitudes are on the shore, right? And he teaches the parable of the sower. We know the parable of the sower, right? Many of us know the parable of the sower, right? There, he, the sower goes, and he, he tosses the seed. There's the good ground, the stony ground, the wayside. The, the weeds tear up and, and steal and take from it, and we, we know this parable. We know this story. We'll get into it here, and... Um, we, we know what happens, right? Jesus never, if, if you look, if you study the ministry of Jesus, never butters up what it takes to follow Christ. He never, he never shines it up. He never makes it look really pretty. He's never begging anyone. He's never trying to convince everyone. He's always very straightforward with it. 
He says, some will get it, some will not get it. Some will fall by the wayside, some will have weeds taken up, some will fall into stony places where, where they can't develop good roots. And then the, the disciples asked Jesus a question. The disciples asked Jesus a question. The disciples came, verse number 10, it says, disciples came and said to him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you using parables? And Jesus explains to them the mysteries of the world, right? He explains to them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To them it is not given. Verse number 12, 13, he kind of goes through. He's teaching the, the, the disciples about why some people hear, some people don't. To him that are here, they say that his ears are waxed. They don't hear. They don't get it. They don't get it. And I, I, that's all a good answer, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about verse number 24. He's, he's, taught, he's moved on from the original parable of the sower. He's moved on to a, to a new parable. He's, he's no longer speaking to just disciples. He's back speaking to the multitudes. Let's read. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not so good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles. Burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus opens up with a parable about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven in this, I, I've done some studying from reading, the kingdom of heaven in this scenario is not a spiritual realm. It's, a, it, it's not a physical realm, excuse me. It's a spiritual realm of a life fully surrendered to God. It's a, it's a realm with God reigning over us, right? Do we understand? It's, it's a realm of God reigning over us. He's speaking to the multitudes, right? Many who will not believe. He's literally, it's pretty funny looking back. He's literally teaching to the multitudes saying, some of you guys won't believe. Some of you guys will kind of believe. Uh, some of you guys will let the world tear you apart. But a few of you will get it. A few of you will get it. He teaches this parable, and he says, you will, few of you will get what it's like to live a life fully surrendered to me. And I, I kind of say the, the same thing. Few of us, unfortunately, I wish it was all of us. I wish the entire world could experience the life fully surrendered to God. But unfortunately, the reality is, Few people will truly get it. True pe people will truly get it. So he, he teaches them, he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. He moves away from the original parable of the sower. He moves into a different parable. And he begins to teach why is it not all good ground? Why is it not that every time the word of God is preached are we convicted and moved? Why is it not that every time we are constantly getting it? Why, are we, why is our church not full of believers who are on fire for God? Why is our churches full of people who can go sit in week in and week out and do nothing for the cause of Christ, why is it? He begins the answers in our, in our, in our first point. Why do we not get it? The first point is because while we sleep, the enemy works. The enemy works. The, the parable goes like this. A, a man sows good seed in his field, right? He sleeps on this man, and we find out later is Jesus himself. We are not the man. Jesus is the man. The man sleeps. He sows good seed. He sleeps. While he is sleeping, the enemy comes and sows tares, right, weeds. Sows weeds, they, they, the, the night comes up, the men, the field workers go, they see the tares growing, they say, sir, master, would you like us to go in, rip up the tares so that we can have, or rip up everything and restart? He says, no, 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 if you rip up the tares, you'll rip up the wheat. We're not doing that. We're going to let the wheat grow, let the tares grow. And in the end, we will tell the wheat from the tares, 
and we'll, we'll figure it out at the end. I think one of the reasons why we do not get it, why we do not get it, is because while we sleep, the enemy works, and we are too focused on the tears, we're too focused on the tears to do the job of the wheat. In this scenario, we are not this man, we are not the servant, we are not the sowers, we are not the tares, we are the wheat. We are the wheat. What is the wheat's job? What is the wheat's job? Not a, not a trick question. To grow, right? To grow. What is the tares' job? To, to, to be a weed, nothing. To, to tear apart. The sower's job is, of course, to sow. Why is it that so many of us are so focused on the tares that we ourselves are not growing? I think the biggest reasons why so many of us don't get it, why so many of us can sit in church week after week, why so many of us are raising kids to be good people but not godly people is because we are so distracted by the tares of the world that we are missing the wheat that God has for us. God has great plans for each and every one of our lives, and the tares are inevitable. The tares are inevitable. There will be tares. If Jesus could not prevent tares in his own proverb, in his own parable, excuse me, if Jesus could not prevent the tares, you cannot prevent the tares. No matter how hard you work, no matter how angry your Facebook posts are, no matter how upset you are, no matter how much you yell, the world will be the world. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. I see things that happen in the world. It, it hurts. It breaks. It, it stinks. But at the same time, the world is the world. That is the world. We cannot expect the world to be us. We are different. We are set apart. We're sanctified. We are not the world. Let the world be the world. The world is inevitable. The, the, the tears are inevitable, unpreventable. You can't go in and take, I feel like the biggest time the wheat tries to do the job of the sower. The, we want to go in, we want to tell the world that they're, that they're the world, right? We want to yell at the world, we want to get angry at the world, we want to talk to the talk to each other about how bad the world is. Brother, I get it, the world's bad. You're not the sower. You're not the roundup. We can go in and we want to just pull out the roundup, spray, 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 kill all the weeds. That's not our job. Our job is to be the wheat. The wheat's job is simply to grow. A life fully surrendered to God is a life not focused on the tares of the world because the tares are inevitable, but a life focused on good growth. You know, the biggest red flag of, of, of a baby Christian is when they are torn up by the tares of the world. Check this out. When you let the world dictate your growth, what a disaster. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Now, what does Jesus say? The, the servants come in like me. They're like, hey, there's weeds out there. We got to get these weeds up, right? What, is, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Hey, the tares are inevitable. Let them both grow. Now, do the tares dictate the growth of the weeds? We would want to say yes. Right? Yeah, well, you can't have weeds in there. No, no, no. Jesus says the wheat's going to grow, the tares are going to grow. At the end, we'll decide. Do not let the tares dictate whether you grow or not. One of the saddest things I deal with in youth group and in church in general with Christians is when they leave church, get offended by church, get hurt by God because of the tares of the world, because of distractions from the world, whether inside or outside. And, and, they, and we look around, we want to blame, I can't do this because of them. I can't do this because of this 
situation in my past. I can't do this because of this hurt. I can't get to that next level because of this. And we are missing out on good growth from God because we are distracted by the tears. God says the tears are inevitable. The tears are going to grow. Your growth will not be dictated by the tears around you. You have the opportunity to grow. You do. I do. Don't let the world bring that down. Don't let the world distract you. Don't let other people's mistakes. Don't let your, don't let your own sin, your own mistakes, man. I, I get in my, in my, I let my own sin, my biggest, my biggest discourager is myself, my own mistakes. Man, there is good growth, but you've got to not focus on the tears. You can, you, we, we, we hate sin, right? We all hate sin. I hate my own sin. I hate the world's sin. I, I, I hate bad things that happen in the world. My job isn't to hate bad things that happen in the world. My job is to simply grow. Be the wheat. Do the job that you are called to do. Let the world be the world. You be the Christian. You be the wheat. You be the wheat. We sleep. The enemy works. I just think that sounded cool. Technically, the we is Jesus, but we move on. Number two, number two. And I could give you a million illustrations about the importance of doing your job, right? I, don't think we, I think we're all adults. We understand the importance of doing your job, doing your job. If I got up here and tried to sing and Matt tried to preach, Matt could probably preach, but the singing would be pretty bad. I do my job. He does his job, right? Do your job. Secondly, we live in a world that wants instant returns, instant returns. Jesus moves on. Jesus is rattling off parables. I love when Jesus gets in this, this, uh, this kind of spirit of just teaching. He's speaking, once again, he's to the multitudes, not just the disciples. He says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is groweth and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable he spake unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like an eleven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. We like to think about when we hear mustard seeds, right? The parable is basically, you start with the mustard seed, it is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it becomes this great big tree, that produces fruit, and then he gives another parable of leaven, that you have these three measures of leaven, you put it in the dough, and over time, it grows, right? When we think of mustard seed, we like to think of Matthew 17, right? We like to think of the, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. That's not what Jesus is trying to talk about here. Jesus is talking about the least of all things is the beginning. It starts out very small, but through time, it can grow into something bigger. If you think of a mustard seed, you think of like a, a BB, like a metal BB, and then even smaller, that is the size of a mustard seed. When mustard seeds are fully grown, they get between 8 and 12 feet. They're, they're fairly large trees. Um, they, they produce, obviously, mustard, I guess. They produce something. Um, they produce mustard. Same thing with yeast, right? I, I'm, I'm a, I like to bake a little bit. You put the yeast in. You let it sit. It grows. What do both those things have in common? They both take time to develop. They both take time to develop. A tree does not start off a tree. A, a, a piece of dough does not start out fully risen. They both take time. They both take time. You know, the Jews expected the reign of Jesus to be one that began with triumph, but it didn't begin with that, right? It began small. It began minor. The work of God, the gospel, is the same way. And, and sadly, I think we miss it so many times. We, we stay in this seed form. We stay in this baby Christian form. We stay in this place where we've never experienced the true life that God has for us. We've never truly given ourselves over. I think the reason that we do is because we want it now. We want it instant. We get saved. We experience the gospel. We experience the goodness of God for the first time. And we never do anything else after that but maybe go to church once a week. And when we go to church and we do our thing and... 
we're missing out on this entire life, this entire proverbial tree that we can become simply because we want it now. We want it now. Um, I, I do like to bake. This kind of sounds kind of silly. I know I'm, I'm a guy, whatever. I like to bake. Um, my mom makes these fire cinnamon rolls, okay? They're homemade cinnamon rolls. Um, she like, it takes like four hours to make. It, I'm talking about big, fresh icing. Fantastic. I made them one time for a, for a Sunday school class, and they were like the poor man's version. She's, it's incredible. I literally texted her last night. I was like, you need to make, I'm coming home in a week. Have them ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, have them ready. And um, I was really in the mood. This is a couple months ago. I was, it was a Saturday night. I don't like doing anything on Saturday night before Sunday. I just, it's just the way I grew up. My dad was a pastor, so we were always at home on Saturday nights. We never did anything. I'm still kind of in that vibe. I don't like doing anything on Saturday nights. I was, had a sweet tooth. My wife has a giant sweet tooth. I have a little one, but whatever. I'm like, man, I could really go for some sin rolls. Recipe, I've made them before, but I was like, man, I am not trying to put like five hours on like at eight o'clock on a Saturday into making these cinnamon rolls. So like any smart man, what do I do? I go to Food Lion. I get like the 50 cent cinnamon roll, little, what are the, like Pillsbury? Is that, is that what we're talking Like little roll, pop it open, throw it in the, throw it in the oven, bake, get the icing out, put it on there. I'm hyped. It smells good. Take a bite. Disgusting. Disgusting. Now, that may not be that bad. But when you've tasted mama cinnamon rolls, <laughs> come on, poor man's. Because, because it takes some time to get something good. It takes some time to get something good. And I'm, I, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, and even me at times, many times, we get so content, complacent, we slide into comfort instead of putting the time and putting the work into growing and becoming what this great, big, beautiful, gospel-loving, sending thing that God wants us to be. We're so content and complacent with being small that we never put the time and work in to being great, to being great. God has something great for you. He does not have something average for you. He does not have something boring for you. The Christian life is a life full of great fruit, the Bible says, producing good fruit. If you've had some good sin rolls, you know it is worth the work. So why are we complaining? I'm not talking about just physical time. Some of us, some of the, some of the weakest Christians I know have been saved for 50 years. They've been saved for 50 years. Instead, they, they put the time into to maybe their craft, put the time into their family. They put, which are not bad things, they put the time into vacation, not bad time. Not, not bad things. They put the time in all these different things, and all those things. They look back in their life. Their 401k has grown. Their family has grown. Their life is good. They've got things. They've got, they've got everything that the world says you did good, and yet they have no deep, meaningful relationship with God. They are weak. They are blown to and from, from theology, from churches. They bounce, bounce, and bounce because they never took the time. They never put the work in to become what God has for them. What a waste. What tragedy what a sadness i got a few teenagers who have gotten saved and who have been excited and i'm so nervous to pour into them now because i don't want them to turn into us the ones who are cool with it we're bored with it we've done it we know the bible i remember i was 15 years old i, I was an idiot I, i'm still not that great i'm still not that smart i was dumb I was t- I, when, you're, when you're 15, everyone in your life is your authority, but I was talking to some authority figure, and uh, I was like, I am tired of going, 
I'm tired of Sunday school. I know every, this is the exact statement, I know every story in the Bible. And that may have been true. There was, I grew up in church, school, Christian school, devote, I mean, I, I've read it, I've been taught every story. I was like, I'm sick of the stories. I know it, I'm done it. And I was 15. What a stupid thing to say. You know how much God has shown me and taught me since I was 15 compared to what I knew then and what I will know over the next years? But it's not going to come from being complacent. It's not going to come from being bored with it. It's not going to come from sitting through church. It's going to come from us putting the time in to wanting to grow. The Bible says you start as the least of these. The gospel, he's speaking, he's speaking about the gospel not only inwardly but globally, right? At this time, the gospel was a very local thing to the Middle East, to Nazareth, to, to, the, to Judea, whatever. And throughout time, the gospel spreads across the entire world. He's speaking of it globally, but he's also speaking of it inwardly. You have to put in the time to grow. What a sad thing for you to know the goodness of God and never grow into more. What a sad thing. Don't waste the time. Don't waste the time. Look back on your life happy with the returns that you've made. Happy with the returns we made. We move. The third reason why we're not always good ground, the third reason why we may not always get it is we do not realize the value of what we had. And we got to move quick right here. We got to move quick. We do not realize the value of what we had. Verse number 40, 44, Jesus moved away from the multitude. He explains to his disciples once again the parable of the sower. He's moving into a more intimate setting. He's no longer speaking to the multitude. He's speaking to disciples. Remember, these disciples are the ones that are already very committed to him. He's not speaking to multitude. He's speaking to people who have given up everything to follow him. He's speaking to people who have nothing, who have given up everything to follow Jesus. And this is what he teaches. Verse number 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in the field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, uh, again the kingdom of heaven was like unto a net that was cast in the sea, gathered of every kind. So when it was full, they drew to shore and cast down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. He gets into a private setting, and he gives three parables. One, the parable of the fish in the sea is similar to the sower. In the bad will be cast in the good. The other two... He focuses on the value of a life surrendered to God. He gives one parable of a man who is a merchant. He finds treasure. He stubs his toe on a box. He picks it up. It's of such value that he goes. He sells all that he has to buy the field that contained the treasure. He gives up everything for the treasure. Another is a man who, who's looking for great pearls. He finds a pearl so good that he goes and gives up everything for the good pearl that he has. You know the reason? why I don't get it. You know the reason why so many of us don't get it? Remember, so many of us will never get it. So we do not realize the value of it. What we have, what a life surrender to God is, is the most valuable thing you could ever obtain. And yet we sit in church. It's not something we have to work for. Now, there is, there is work involved. It's not something we have to purchase physically. It's something we have to, we have to steal. no. It is one we could all easily obtain, yet so many of us let this valuable, valuable thing wash by. Wash by. And I, think the only, I don't think we're dumb. I think we're smart people. I think the reason why we let it go by is because we don't realize the value which it holds. If I could remind myself 
God reminding me of the value of a life lived for him, the value of it, man, it'd be a whole lot easier to surrender to it. It'd be a whole lot easier to surrender to it. But unfortunately, we don't look at it like that. We don't look at it like that. The other night, we had a, we had a, water, we had a water night in our youth group. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had a big water slide. This was Wednesday night. Um, we're out after, this is after, after service. Um, we, we were kind of clean. I was exhausted. We were kind of cleaning up, eating some snow cones. There's a few people left. If y'all don't know Amy and Bubba Johnson, they have a son named Max. He's got a mullet. He's kind of hanging out on uh, the slides, this big water slide. There's one or two kids still kind of running. He was on it. Um, he's kind of going down, you know, just doing the slide, going down, coming up. It's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Slide's a lot of fun. Well, it's like getting late, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Amy looks at Max. I haven't told them I'm using this yet, so we'll, we'll deal with that in the second service when they're here. Um, Amy looks at Max and is like, hey, we, like, it's time to go. Like, it's 9 o'clock. Like, we got to go um, one more time down the slide, and we go. Okay, so he goes down the slide some more. We're still talking. She's like, okay, we're done. Let's go. And uh, he's like, can I go one more time? She's like, no, I already told you one more time was up, right? And he's like, can I please just go one more time? Please. I, he's probably gone down it a hundred times, but he, he needs one more time, one more time. And uh, Amy, Amy decided that enough was enough, and she was like, no, you're done. Start drying off. And he's like, mom, one more time. Like, I'm already wet. Like, there's no, one more time. She goes, I, I like this move. I, 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 I'm going to steal this one day. Um, she said, she said, uh, what'd she say? She said, you can go down the slide one more time if you must go down the slide one more time, but if you go down that slide one more time, you will not touch a video game for four days. You will not touch a video game for four days. Now, as a reasonable person, I'm sitting there like, that's a bad trade. <laughs> I want video games for four days. I, I've been down the slide, but Max did not think like that. Max sat here. And you could see the wrestling in his mind. Should I just go down the slide? Do I really want to play video games? And for about, I'm not even kidding, about three minutes, he sat there and pondered whether he should go down the slide. Now, we're all, this is a silly illustration of the goodness and the value of a life lived for God. But man, aren't we the same? We sit there and we ponder these stupid things of the earth. We ponder wealth. We ponder even good things. We ponder family. We ponder time. We ponder hobbies. We ponder good, good things. We sit here and we ponder... And is it worth it to not have this, but man, I could get one more time down the slide. One more time. And we're missing out and we're giving up this life lived for God because we're so silly and so childlike and so simple that we want one more time down the slide. And God says, look, man, if you understood the value of what you could have, the value of what you do have, it'd be worth anything you have. This wasn't a bad trade. These guys were willing to give up everything, happily running to sell all that they had to, to get that, good, that goodness of a life lived for God, the kingdom of heaven. They, weren't, it wasn't, they didn't go home and talk to their financial advisor. They didn't go home and discuss it with their wife. No, no, no. They ran to the place. I don't know what place was just selling. I, I, I'd like to sell all that I have. I don't know. It happens a lot in the Bible. They sold all that they have, right? They sold everything happily, quickly, speedily, ran back, purchased the goodness of God because guess what? It had value. And if we would realize the value of a life lived for God, it would not be hard to do right. It would not be hard to put ourselves in church. It would not be hard to raise our kids, not to be good people, but to be godly people. It would not be hard to, to move forward for the cause of Christ. But unfortunately, our twisted, childlike, simple minds 
and I'm talking to myself, underestimate the value of what God has for us. What a sad thing. What a sad thing. In Florida, and I'll wrap up. I'll finish my, maybe the next, maybe the next service will get my last point. Um, in Florida, it's a sad thing. We, um, my, the church I grew up in was a very retirement-heavy place, right? It's, you know, Naples, Florida. I kind of live like 40 minutes north of that, but the, like retirement homes everywhere. Our church was a, a lot of older folks, um, and this is not an attack on everyone. If, if this has happened to you, I apologize. And, but we had almost every week in the world, this is just a reality, one of our older people was getting scammed into sending money to someone sending money to someone, and they were getting scammed, they were getting robbed, they, and we had to do classes once a month at our church of how to avoid being scammed. It's just the reality of, of the area in which we lived in. People were just getting scammed all the time. And what, as a little kid, I'd hear these things. We had one lady, she lost like $40,000. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of value. And you hear these, you hear these stories of these people just kind of giving up, losing, stealing, and I remember this one lady, she was um, an older lady, she kind of lost a big chunk of money, she, and we, she was there talking to my parents, I was younger, and I was just like, man, that, that's terrible, and she's, the attitude that she had, I don't remember what she said, the attitude that she had stuck with me, and even as a little kid who had zero money, um, it, it really just affected me, she said that and I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I, I was, it was many years ago. She, she said that what I have value in, they could not take from me. What I have value in, they could not take from me. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know if she was talking about God. I don't know. But for me, what I have value in, you cannot take from me. So why don't we value it? Why do we miss it? Why do we miss it? Why do so many people attend church never get it? Why do so many people get it sometimes why are we inconsistent why are we hot and cold why are we hot and we cold i think it's a couple reasons i think because we're we're focused on the tears i i I think it's because we want instant return and i i think it i think a big reason is because we don't have value in what we should we value the things we do not need to value and we undervalue a life lived for god a life lived for god there's been times in my life where i valued it a lot where it's been the most valuable thing to me. And there's been times in my life where it had very little value. And that's sad. I want to be on the more valuable side. I want there to be more days of valuing the life that God has for me than not. Let's pray this.